Before we jump into our message in Matthew today, I'd like to just spend a few minutes, deemed it appropriate considering this is Mother's Day, to honor our mothers, to pay a little homage to them. Um, you, as, as a mother, you know how much work is put into motherhood. <laughs> You've experienced it. And I think that it deserves being mentioned today. I do want to show you a passage in Matthew chapter 25 that I think that you might find encouraging. And this will provide the foundation for, for just this, this, this momentary honor that we can present to the mothers here today. Matthew chapter 25. Look at verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of these least of my brethren, you did it to me. Now you look at this passage and you see, this, see what he says, Inasmuch as you did it to the least of these brethren, you did it to me. And you, list, you see the list here. Taking care of hunger, clothing, welcoming, taking, taking in, clothing, visiting the sick, and those who are in trouble. Does that not perfectly describe motherhood? Isn't that the job of motherhood? Every single one of these elements is found in the daily progression of motherhood. Every single day, one of these things is, is, uh, is being dealt with in your child. How many hungry mouths have you, mother, fed? How many times from the day your child was just a baby? Did you heed their cries for nourishment? How many lunches, breakfasts, dinners, snacks, picnics? How many, how many of your children did you let just go hungry to the point of starvation because you just didn't feel like feeding them? No, you didn't do that. And even your grown children, you still find yourself buying them groceries, having them over for dinner, baking them breads, cakes, and cookies. You just can't stop doing them good. And how many times did you open your arms to your crying child? You've wiped too many tears to count. You've consoled too many woes to keep track. And you remember the mama bear feelings when another child hurt your child. And you even remember those moments to this day when it was all you could do to keep yourself together when that would happen. To keep that mother bear from doing something rash. Your open arms were a shelter and a fortress to your children. Your daughters and maybe even your sons still see you as one they can find comfort in when they are stressed or beaten down by sorrow. And you are always ready, waiting there to help them. You remember all the money spent buying them new clothes, seemingly every single season for several years. And within each season, you also spent countless hours mending and patching those new clothes that they just burnt a hole in. Or perhaps you were spent money and time shouting out, both with volume and with detergent, the stains in their finest church clothes. You carefully picked out clothes that could withstand the hurricane of energy that wore through their clothes quicker than you could, out, 
quicker than they could outgrow them. And still it seemed that the the hand-me-downs were still ample for their siblings. Why? Because your diligent efforts to see that your children were properly clothed at all times. Can you remember also how many days you had to take off from work simply because your child had to stay home sick from school? Do you remember fighting the disgust within you as your child hung over the edge of the toilet, unthankfully getting rid of the dinner that you just fed them, so that you could give them whatever comfort and help you could possibly muster? How many times did you have to clean up the mercury spilled from a bitten thermometer that just read 103 degrees? Do you remember the fear of getting whatever it was that your child had, but you still stuck with them anyway? simply because you loved them and you wanted to be whatever help you could possibly be while they laid there miserable. You knew you could not take away their sickness, but if you could, you would gladly take it upon yourself if it would just mean that they would be healthy. You did not shy away from them no matter what their sickness was. You also remember all the times that your child got in trouble, whether it was at school or literally with the law, whether their sin was seemingly harmless or quite deadly, whether they were rightfully or wrongfully accused. You were there for them, to discipline them, so that they could return to God in His righteousness, and mature into the person that God wanted them to be. It didn't matter how much trouble they were in, you were there to lead them, to guide them, to support them. Yes, sometimes your anger may have gotten the best of you, but in the long run, your child knows that you always had their best interests in mind. You did your best to teach them and train them in the way of the Holy Spirit. And in all of of these things, if there is one person that faithfully follows all of these works listed out for us in this passage in Matthew 25, it's a mother. And we see a blessing of the Lord that follows all of these things. I know that sometimes motherhood can seem like a ton of work with very little reward. Just think about each of these elements that we talked about that we see in this passage. Each one of these is an exhausting feat that seemingly comes with little ROI, return on investment. And to top this off, each day, each of these elements find their place in motherhood every single day and every single night. What does God say for those who faithfully walk in these ways? Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why does he say this? Because he says, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of my brethren... You did it to me. When, we were taking care of, when you were taking care of that child and all of those different things, it's as though you were doing it to the Lord. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, 13-15, that for Adam was formed first and then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if, she, if they continue in faith, love, holiness, with self-control. Now, there are many passages in the Bible that confuse me, and I cannot tell you as a matter of fact what they mean, and this happens to be one of those passages. This passage has always confused me. But perhaps this is an explanation of Matthew chapter 25. It's being saved through childbearing, not through faith in children, but through the faith expressed through your sacrificial, daily intercession for your children. Working out that salvation that the Lord has given you every single day. And as many of you who are mothers here who continued in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, lovingly empty yourselves out on behalf of your family, seeking the sanctification of your children. Sometimes you just settle for a little sanity, let's be honest. 
All the while, trying not to lose your sanity, know just how difficult motherhood is. Every single one of these things is hard. Faith, you just don't understand sometimes. Sometimes you just can't see how God could let this or that happen to your child. Your child gets sick, hurt, or even passes away. Perhaps your child grows up and they move away. And you're wondering why God is doing this. How could God let this happen? My mother said that when I moved to Chicago. Why would God let my children move away? My sister moved to Montana, I moved to Illinois, and now I'm here in Kansas. (laughs) My parents reside in Indiana. She struggled with that for a very long time, and perhaps some of you know that struggle. Perhaps it's a matter of just teaching your children about the faith. You just don't feel like you can say the right words. You don't know all the right verses that you should be sharing. You just don't feel sufficient to pass on what you have to your children. But yet you're fervent in prayer for them. You do not keep your mouth shut, even though you're not sure if the mumbling words that you are saying are the right words. Sometimes your love grows weak. Sometimes you just wish you could get some of that love that you've been shoveling out to these children. Sometimes you just want what you want, and the kids just won't let you have it. (laughs) Sometimes you just want some time, but you can't. But yet you still know that these thoughts are just distractions, and you keep loving and serving and putting your high calling of motherhood in front of you and seeking after that. Sometimes you're overcome with discouragement because you just can't be the type of mother that you wish you could be. You see all these other mothers around you and you secretly wish that you could be just like each and every one of those. You wish you had all of their strengths and none of their weaknesses, but you look at yourself and perhaps all you can ever see is your own weaknesses and everything that you don't want to pass down to your children. You can't see the point. You can't seem to point at anything that you want to pass on to your kids because you are just not satisfied with what you see in yourself. Concerning self-control, sometimes that's just the hardest. You never knew anger until you had children. You never knew how selfish you were until you had children. You never knew how many desires you had until you had children, and you couldn't have those. You never knew exhaustion until you had children. You thought you had, but then you got hit by a train multiple times. But in all of these things, God has always proven himself faithful to you, and he saw to it that you made it through in faith. He gave you the fountain of love that could keep on pouring out. He reminded you that his holiness was enough and that he would sanctify you. He filled you with his spirit to guide you in self-control. And while you were not perfect, you were just the person that God chose before the foundations of the earth were laid to be the right mother for your children. You were and you still are just the person God wants to mother your children. Surely, just as Solomon spoke, your children will rise up and call you blessed. Not for, not for your sake, necessarily, but just as Christ himself emptied himself out on your behalf so that you could have an eternal inheritance in the heavens, so he fills you and uses your motherhood as a metaphor for his undying love, deep sacrifice, a wellspring of joy that nourishes God's children, and everlasting provision that is poured out from above. All of life points us to God above, and your motherhood is no exception. God has not wasted your motherhood. Some of you may think that it was all done wrong. I just messed up completely, didn't do anything right. Some of you wish that you just had just been somebody else, or that your kids had a different mother. 
But know this, that if your children were supposed to have had a different mother, God would have given them a different mother. If you believe that God is sovereign, then you need to believe that God is sovereign. You are just the person that God wanted to be the mother of your children. He knew all that would take place in that home of yours. So bless you mothers. Thank you for all you've done for your children and make sure that you bless your own mothers. Some of your mothers have passed on, but still we rise up and we remember the blessing that they were. We honor them in our memory. And those of you who your mothers are still around, honor them. Tell them. Speak it to them. How can they know that you honor them unless you say something? So please, speak to your mothers. Tell them what they mean to you. Call them blessed. Don't let this Mother's Day go by without having assured them that you love them and that you pray for them. Happy Mother's Day. Now, at this point, we will open our Bibles to Matthew. Look at Matthew chapter 4. And don't forget on that note, don't, don't leave without getting a flower. We have some flowers for all the ladies here, whether you're a mother or not. So please stop by at the end of the service. I'll be in the back with a bouquet of flowers, and I'll be giving each one of you a flower. So please don't leave without grabbing one of those. Matthew chapter 4. We're going to be, we've been looking at Jesus' temptations. We finished up his, tempta- his temptations. We saw his humanity. We have seen Jesus humbling himself. We saw his birth. We saw his very humble roots in Bethlehem and in Nazareth. We saw him in the wilderness being tempted. We looked at that for several weeks. And now here, at the end of, the, at the end of last week, we saw in the passage that now Jesus is starting to rise like, like the, the sun is rising above the horizon. It's not, he's not up in the middle of the sky yet, but he is rising. The will of the Father is now being obviously active in the world of men. And here we see one of the first things that he did after he came out from that wilderness wandering, as he was associating with his people and with mankind in general, subjecting himself to the, to the sufferings of the flesh and to the sufferings of temptation at the hands of the devil. And he was tempted just like we are, yet without sin. We saw that actively being displayed in the last several weeks as we've been looking at the temptations and the humanity of Jesus Christ. And now we're going to see him. He he walks out of the wilderness. And he goes and he starts picking people to follow him. To be his disciples. Before we look into this, in the next 15 to 20 minutes or so, let me pray. Seek the Lord's guidance as we seek his word. And seek the wisdom that is from above. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your great ministry to us. How your love is perfect. And it was perfectly displayed on that cross. And that you still continue to pour out your love to us having risen. You abide with us and in us. And you intercede since, as you sit at the right hand of the Father on high. Justifying those who come to you in faith. Lord I pray that you would purify our minds. You will purify our hearts. Give us a glimpse of your truth. 
this deep wellspring of wisdom. Show us your love and show us what it is that you just like to teach us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's start reading here. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them all. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. And I can't forget that in verse 12 here, it says, Now that Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed into Galilee. And this is where he began his, his ministry. He heard John the Baptist, not talking about John the Apostle, John the Baptist is who he's talking about. John the Baptist gets put in prison. Jesus sees that, and to him, this, from that point on, the Spirit leads him to begin the meat of his fruitful ministry. John the Baptist had been preparing the way for Jesus, and we discussed that in detail a few weeks ago. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus to come and minister to the world as the Messiah, the one who had been promised for centuries. And as John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. Now John the Baptist is taken into prison and he is literally being decreased. Jesus sees that and he's led by the Spirit to go and increase. To go and begin his ministry on this earth that would produce eternal increase throughout all nations. And how does he start here? He starts preaching, but then he's, he's walking by the Sea of Galilee. And he sees two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net to the sea, for they were fishermen. In verse 19, he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now we look at this little event, and, and, it, and this Jesus calling his disciples really gives us some insight into God saving you and me, calling you and me to be his disciples. Were Peter and John in the temple worshiping? No. Were they out doing some sort of mercy ministry? No. Were they doing some good work? No. I mean, they were working. They were just working, caring about business. They were fishermen. And they were doing what fishermen do, fishing. Nothing special, nothing super religious, nothing notable. And Jesus walks up to them and says, Peter, Andrew, come follow me. There was not really any reason for Jesus calling them in particular. And perhaps you, have, perhaps you can resonate with this. It resonates with me because there have been many times I've prayed to God, 
God, why in the world did you call me instead of them? Why in the world have you saved me and brought me from where I've come from? There's nothing, there's nothing that would prompt that. There was nothing that would prompt your work in me that I can see. Why not that person over there? There's an obvious draw to why, some, why, why a God would want to call them and use them. But here we see Jesus is just coming up to common folk, saying, come, follow me. And we see that in salvation, it's true all the way around. Jesus does not save us. He does not call us to salvation based off of any merit of our own. You weren't religious enough. You didn't worship enough. You didn't go to the right church, do the right things, get involved in the right ministries, visit the right people. You didn't say the right words or believe the right things. No, Jesus called you on no merit of your own. Just like he called these disciples. No merit of their own. They did nothing that stuck out. That Jesus, well, it's not that Jesus was walking by the sea of Galilee and he saw them doing something just outstanding. Maybe he saw them playing the part of the Good Samaritan or something like that. There was a man in need and he saw Peter and his brother, Andrew, kneeling behind that man and coming to their aid. And Jesus just said, you know what? That's fantastic. Come on, why don't you come and follow me? I could use that on my team. Look at those skills that you have, that you've wonderfully displayed. I could really use that on my team. Come, join me. No, they were just fishing. In fact, if you want to look at Luke chapter 5, he came to them in kind of a weak point in their life. Or at least their day, perhaps their week. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. So it was the multitudes pressed around him to hear the word of God, and he stood by the lake of Genesaret. The lake of Genesaret is another name for the Sea of Galilee. It was also called the Sea of Tiberias. Um, and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Then, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats, so that they began to sink. When Simon and Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and were part, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all, and they followed him. In Matthew chapter, in Matthew chapter 4, he doesn't give all the detail here. But we can see some of the detail that starts coming to play throughout this event of Jesus calling James, Andrew, Peter, um, and John. They were all just fishing. And in fact, it wasn't just that they were fishing. Is they were out there not catching anything. They were discouraged. 
Jesus was there teaching people. People wanted to hear the teaching of Jesus. He had started teaching a short time ago, and he was teaching profound things, new things, that the people wanted to hear. So he was starting to get people gathering around him, listening to him teach. So Jesus says, Peter, come on, let's get in your boat. I need to go out and I'm going to teach because there are too many people here for me to sit on the, sit on the shore. They're, they're crowding around. I can't teach like this. Let's go out into the sea and I'm going to teach in, the, in your boat. And he teaches. But then he does something wonderful. Peter hadn't caught anything all day. Jesus says, put your net down. Remember, this is in the view of all those people that had come by to watch him teach. Put your net down, Peter. Peter says, you know, you can kind of think Peter. I mean, this is, his, this is ex, his expertise. This is Peter's job. He knows that there are no fish in this place. And he's thinking, who is this guy to tell me how to fish? He's obviously some sort of man of God, but, you know, a man of the cloth. <laughs> but he doesn't understand my industry. I already know that I'm not going to catch anything if I throw my net down into the water. But you know what? Nevertheless, at your word, I'll do it. After all, we have all these people watching. Who am I to say no to the man who has just spoken profoundly from the word of God? So he throws his net down, not expecting to catch anything. Perhaps he was worried about how Jesus would look when Jesus told him to throw his net down into the water and then he came up with nothing again. Oh, well, that was, that's kind of embarrassing, Jesus. <laughs> you know? Everybody's watching, and then you've kind of failed with this little trick of yours. But he throws it down. Nevertheless, I will throw my net down. And what happens? Tons of fish. Where there were no fish before. What was the difference? Jesus was there. Jesus was there. When it was just Peter out there fishing with his comrades, there was no fish. There was no fruitfulness. But now Jesus is there makes all the difference. These fishermen were not miracle workers, but they got to taste the power of Jesus in this moment, in a very small way. But it was enough to get this profound statement from Peter. It says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. I mean, think about it. You've seen some amazing things in your life, but does that make you think about all of your sin? It did Peter. It did Peter. Peter knew that this was a man of God. And now look at the works that he's done. That he's done. And he says, depart from me, Jesus. I'm a sinful man. It was profound enough for him to kind of be embarrassed in the presence of Jesus. To be ashamed. And he just wanted to, to lurk back into the darkness. Because he didn't want that light exposing him. Jesus was shining light through this work of wonder that he had just performed. And it made Peter uncomfortable. He just wanted to hide. Jesus, go, just go away. I, I want to be left to myself. I don't want to be in the presence of this man of God. And perhaps you felt like this before. Perhaps you understand this. God, I, I can't pray. I just feel too sinful. I, I, can't, I can't go to church. I can't be around all of the Word of God and those, these religious people. I just can't do it. I'm just too wrong. It's kind of how Peter felt right now. I can't be around Jesus right now because I am just confronted with my wickedness in, in the presence of this glory and majesty. 
of this person. But Jesus didn't say, okay, Peter, you can have a minute. <laughs> no, he said, Peter, no, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. This thing that you just saw, this experience that you just had, I'm going to transform your life in this manner. Right now, your life is kind of pointless, Peter. You go and you catch some fish, you go home, you sell it, you make some money, you go back and you fish, you go sell it, you go home, go to bed, go fish, go sell it, make some money, go home. It's just this cycle of life. And Jesus is saying, Peter, I want to pull you out of this cycle of life that perishes. You know what? Right now you're fishing for fish. I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to apply this common, ordinary thing that you're doing to eternity. I'm going to make it wonderful. I'm going to make your life purposeful and fruitful. In fact, it'll be just the way that you see it displayed now. You had no fruitfulness. Plus Jesus equals fruitfulness. Peter just saw this display. I had nothing, but then Christ came and I had everything. I had nothing, but then Christ came. And now I have everything in abundance. And this is a display that Jesus was putting in front of these people. The the, all the people that had congregated on the seashore. Peter himself, James, John, Andrew, saying... People, you're empty, but I have come to give life. I have come to give fruitfulness. You may feel pointless. You may feel like this life has just been fruitless. But I have come upon you. And I am giving you this promise. That if you will follow me, if you will lay aside your nets and come and follow me, I'm going to make your life fruitful. You are going to bear fruit in abundance that you can't even handle it. Just like you couldn't handle all of these fish. You're not going to be able to handle what I have in store for you. Perhaps Peter thought, you know, what in the world is he supposed to use in me? All I know how to do is fish and say things that I shouldn't say. He had a mouth on him as we saw on display throughout the rest of his life as it's recorded in Scripture. He had a mouth on him. But he was a fisherman. Fishermen don't get called by rabbis. Fishermen don't get called into fruitful ministry. No. Smart people do. <laughs> Religious people do. I'm just a fisherman. God came to call the common to an uncommon life. That's the power of salvation. People who have no inheritance, and now they inherit the universe, the whole kingdom of God. People who aren't special, he sanctifies and makes them his special people. People who have nothing, he applies Christ, and now they have everything. That's the image we see here in this act of Jesus calling Peter. This is what your ministry is going to look like. You're going to go and minister to a nation that is completely corrupt and void of anything worth anything to God. And you're going to display the salvation of Jesus Christ and bring glory where there was no glory.
You're going to bring the glory of God down to these people so that they might be saved and become one with this inheritance. It will spread to the Gentiles of the nations. You will bless all the nations. There will be people coming into the faith that you don't even see because they're just, they just abound. Peter didn't do anything to earn any of this. In fact, he wanted Jesus to go away. This is too much. Jesus, you are too much for me to stand before. Jesus says, I don't care. Come and follow me. And you know what their response was? His response and those that were with him, they left everything behind and they followed him. And that's what discipleship looks like. I mean, Jesus himself said, if you don't put your hand to the plow, and if you, if you put your hand to the plow and look back, you can't be my disciple. You're not worthy of being my disciple. And that's put on display right here with Peter and his, his fellow fishermen. Jesus called, him, called them, said, come and follow me. And they willfully, amid all their hesitations, they willfully laid aside their whole life. Fishing was their life. That's how they did everything. And they went and followed Jesus. If you haven't done that, not necessarily, you know, God doesn't always call us to leave our occupation and go walk around just wherever. But have you given up your pursuit of your own happiness, your pursuit of your own sustenance, your pursuit of your own satisfaction, what you would define as you, have you left that all behind so that you could go and follow Jesus, take upon yourself His name, lay aside your name? You No, it's not about you because you without Jesus is nothing. No, Jesus applied to your nothingness is everything. Are you willing to take that name upon you? That calling upon you. Recognizing that he's not calling me because of the stuff that I have to bring. No, the stuff that I have to bring is just baggage that's going to weigh me down. No, I've got to drop this. So that Jesus can apply himself to me in my emptiness. And make everything from that. That's what he's called us to. And you see a, a contrast here, sort of, sort of a contrast. In verse 30, 24, well, let's read in verse 23 to 25. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Look at all this amazing stuff he's doing. Outstanding stuff. Helping people everywhere. Healing, helping. Verse 24, and then obviously after all of that, then his fame went throughout all of Syria. And they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were, who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics and healed them. People were bringing him all the hopeless cases. All the hopeless cases were coming to Jesus. And you know what? It's not hard to understand. Verse 25, and great multitudes followed him from Galilee and Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. There were a lot of people that came and followed Jesus. You know, sometimes we think of the 12 disciples. No, there were tons of people following Jesus around as he went and ministered throughout the, the region. But you know what? Most of these people would turn from Jesus. There's one time in particular when Jesus said, You must eat my flesh and drink my blood. 
if you want to be a child of God. They didn't like that. So everybody except for the twelve left. Everybody left. They weren't willing to have all of Jesus. They weren't willing to dive full on and have and accept all of Jesus from his flesh to his blood. They didn't want that. That that sounded really strange. That was uncomfortable, Jesus. Why would you say something like that? I don't want to eat you and drink your blood. That's strange. And they all left. All but the twelve left. They didn't want all of Jesus. They didn't want the hard things, okay? This was hard to understand. Hard to grab hold of. Hard to accept. People want something that's easier to accept. People want a a watered-down gospel, watered-down blood. Great multitudes, they started out, I mean, they saw all the wondrous things that he was doing. They heard the wonderful sermons that he was preaching. They loved the things that he was saying up until it was too hard for them. Jesus says a lot of hard things, okay? Are you prepared for the hard things? Or are you just willing to to go to church and do the easy things that kind of fall into place in your little life that you're living while still holding on to all the things that you count to be comfortable and worthwhile? No. Are you willing to accept the hard things from Jesus? Or do you just have a Jesus graven in your own image He only expects from you the things that you're comfortable giving. That's how most of us live our our typical week, right? How many times do we go out of our comfort zone, let alone into danger, for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ? No, we just let Jesus kind of fall into the, the, the normal way that we live our lives. You know, Jesus left everything to come to me. I don't have to leave everything and go to him. That's our attitude. I'm willing to follow him so far. And if I sense that he's calling me past where I'm willing to go, I'll just kind of ignore that sermon. You know, whatever, pastor, that's good for some people, whatever. I'll come back next week and forget this whole thing. I'm, not, I'm going to ignore the hard things. Because I'm not willing to follow that. But if you're not willing to follow that, then you are not Christ's disciple. doesn't matter what you say about yourself. It doesn't matter that you call yourself a Christian. It doesn't matter that you go to this church or that church. If you're not willing to follow Christ in the hard things, in the dangerous things, in the awkward things, in the strange things that you don't understand, then you're not Christ's disciple. We don't even know what the term, the cost of discipleship, means. I mean, discipleship doesn't have a cost. I mean, haven't you, Pastor, haven't you read, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God? Haven't you read that it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by his mercy he saves us? Haven't you read that? Yeah, I've read that, and I've also read the rest of the Bible. (laughs) Have you? Have you seen what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Yeah, Christ saves you by his grace alone. Like I said, it all starts with Jesus came up to Peter and invited him, not because of any merit of his own. Come follow me. But what does it even mean to you to say, okay, I will follow you? For most of us, it just means, yeah, I'll call myself a Christian and start going to church once a week. 
You know, and whenever somebody presents some sort of ministry opportunity, sometimes I'll go and interact with it. That's how we live our lives. That's not discipleship. You're not a disciple of Christ if that's all you're willing to offer. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Unless you put that hand to the plow, get busy, get down into that dirt, get sweaty, get bloody, get calloused. Unless you're willing to do that without looking back, trying to think about, oh, what's, what, what's, what's for lunch? You know, I, oh man, I'm really tired. I'm going to go to bed. I don't want to be out here working in this hot sun. I'm going to go and relax on the in, inside. The, inside. Unless you put your, those hands on that plow and you get going without even thinking about what's behind you. That's discipleship. That's being a disciple of Jesus Christ. We're so distracted. Satan's okay with you coming to church every so often as long as you're con- continually distracted the rest of your life. Because if you're constantly grabbing onto this and that and the other thing, you're not Christ's disciple. doesn't matter what you think about yourself. Are you willing to dive in, to get bloody, to get callous, to get sweaty, to get dirty, to do the things that are hard and seem to have no reward? Just like we talked about in motherhood. Sometimes it's just hard, 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 hard. It seems like there's no reward. You know what? That's, that's discipleship too. Sometimes it just doesn't look like there's a whole lot of reward. That's when you're storing up treasures in heaven. You don't see them today. That's why we walk by faith and not by sight. Those who just want to walk by sight are those who are constantly living for the things that they can profit from now, that they can find comfort and solace from now. Those are people walking by sight, not by faith. Those who walk by faith and not by sight are the people who are willing to sacrifice all of that in hope of the eternal life that is to come. That is the ultimate hope that we have. But you know what? Jesus also, just like Peter, you know, you weren't catching anything by yourself but I'm going to come and make you fruitful. If I'm not there, you're going to continue to catch nothing. It's all going to slip through the little holes in your net. There's going to be nothing for you to show in the day of judgment. All of your works will be burned up like chaff, wood, hay, and stubble. But I have come to make you fruitful. I have come to make the difference that matters for eternity. I don't care about how much money you make. I don't care about any of this stuff. I care, what I care about is your fruitfulness from the inside displayed outside. Apply Jesus to every single thing that you do. Seek Him in all your ways. Sometimes your business will make, make you make hard decisions that just don't line up with the priorities of Christ. Are you willing to get fired? Or are you going to look for ways to kind of manipulate it so that you don't have to look like a Christian and this and that? Are you willing to get laid off for the sake of Christ? Jesus calls us, not on any merit of our own. He says, come and follow me. I want to make you fishers of men. There's the proposition. Here's the job. Here's the pay. Do you want the job? You've got to count the cost of discipleship. It's not easy. It's going to be hard but I'll make you fishers of men. And just like you, Peter, you just brought in all these fish. I'm going to do that on an eternal scale with you. 
Are you willing to lay aside everything so you can come and follow that? Are you willing to? Are you the, the man who sees the treasure in the field and decides, you know what, everything that I have is worth selling so that I can go buy that field so that I can have that treasure? Is Jesus worth selling everything that you have so that you can come follow him and have him? Are you willing? Are you a, are you a true disciple? Or are you just a nominal disciple? Meaning you're willing to take the name, but you don't really want to have anything to do with his real mission. Are you real or are you just nominal? Lord, I pray that you would work in each heart here. I pray that you would reveal to us the hidden things that we have kept hidden from you and perhaps we've kept hidden from ourselves because we just don't want to deal with it. Reveal the hidden things that are keeping us, Lord, from true discipleship, from keeping us from the way, the truth, and the life. Reveal to us, Lord, bring to light the things that perhaps even Peter wanted to hide from. Sometimes, you know, the things that in our own life we want to say, depart from me. I'm a sinful man, I know it, I just don't want to deal with it. Reveal those things to us. Make us see it. Make us deal with it. Give us the humility to submit to you. Lord, may you be beautiful in our eyes, for you are beautiful, and we really miss out for not looking at it, at your beauty, your glory. We trade the fountain of living waters for broken cisterns that can hold no water. Constantly trying to lick the dry walls of those empty wells, getting thirstier and thirstier and thirstier. All the while, you, the fountain of living waters, is right there. If only we'd turn around and come to you. God, forgive us, for we are weak people, and we are easily enticed by the shiny things that are all around us. Lord, forgive us. Lord, be more to us than all the things that we see here with our eyes. Be clearer to us in the eyes of faith. Thank you for all these mothers are here. I pray that you would bless them, encourage them with the words of their children, and may they encourage their mothers with their own words, their own actions. In Jesus' name, amen.